In your matching activity for math for beadwork, you looked at the raw material, the product of Ute knowledge, and something that was a modern version. Now let's look at some Ute beadwork. Behind me is a taste of some of the beadwork made by the Ute people. Before beads were introduced to the Ute people by the Spanish explorers, the Ute people decorated their belongings with natural materials like stones, seeds, seashells that they traded with other tribes for, feathers, and naturally made paint. Just like today, they enjoyed a colorful and beautiful world. Beads allowed for new designs like many you see here. Some are geometric, some create a picture or a pattern. Beads continue to play a large role in Ute culture. Today, Ute artisans are known for their rose pattern beadwork, like this one that you see here, as well as the one you see behind me in the case. Beads can be used for all sorts of things, from decorating clothing and jewelry to creating artwork and other amazing things. Why would beads be so good for making so many different kinds of patterns and designs, from flowers to geometric shapes? What kind of math skills do you use when making art? In the next part of the video, you will hear Ute people talking about how they create patterns and art using glass beads. I'm an established artist and I want to share with others how not to do things the hard way in order to to just get to the point where a person could create a masterpiece of artwork without the limitations of a material. And that was my main goal of sharing the knowledge of um, beadwork. Art is very precious to me. Beadwork should be touched. Beadwork should be worn. It should be alive. And a lot of times, a lot of our beadwork went in the ground with our loved ones. The reason I'll pull out folders is to share with that knowledge that I have about things that we don't just come from an idea or an item. We are human beings. We're transitioning living beings that have have a place in time. And they did. They had their home. They, they, they integrated modern things today. They expressed themselves in an enorm enormous and infinite variety of life. And to them, the most important thing was to live and to be. And I share that in the photos that I, that I um, bring or look for to find them because they're gone to, to see them in the way they were. And they're there. They're, I don't like to look at them and, and see their item. I like to see them. matching activity for science for food, you looked at the material from nature, the object of youth knowledge, and the modern object. Now let's look at some plants that were used by the youth people. Here you see the native plant garden at the Ute Indian Museum in Montrose, Colorado. All of the plants here were chosen for their connection to the youth people. Some were eaten, some were used for medicine, and some were used as tools. 
Plants in this garden are still collected by tribal members and used to teach others about traditional Ute knowledge. Here I have a bag of pine nuts. Pine nuts are very important to Ute culture, both for nutrition and cultural value. Around September, pine nuts start to separate from the pine cones and they're ready for collecting. The nuts are cleaned and shelled and they can be roasted, which would help preserve them for winter months. Pine nuts are full of good calories, which are essential for winter survival for the Ute people. Another commonly used plant was amaranth. This is amaranth seed, comes from the amaranth plant. It's tiny and was ground on a stone like this. This is a mono, the hand stone, and the matate, the grinding stone. It was ground into flour and the flour was used to make cakes or crackers. Fruits like these wild berries or these rose hips, as well as the fruit that you found in your matching activity could be used with the ground amaranth or the pine nuts to make those cakes or crackers. It could also be added to meat. This is venison that has been dried and cured. It also has cranberries and grains in it. Making pemlikin like this allowed the Ute people to travel with the meat and kept the meat safe longer. Today on the Ute reservations, food is still an important part of life. The Southern Ute tribe manages their own bison ranch where they raise bison both to feed tribal members and to help conserve bison populations. The Ute Mountain Ute tribe owns and operates the Bow and Arrow brand, which produces cornmeal like the bag you see here. The corn is grown on Ute tribal land. What other plants could be used as food, used for medicine, or had a different purpose for the Ute people? How do we use that knowledge today? In the next part of the video, you will hear modern Ute people talk about the many ways the Ute people use the cedar or juniper tree. The Ute elders explain the many different ways that Ute people use the juniper tree, also called a cedar. The bark on the cedar was to make, um, they used to use it to weave, uh, like for your sandals. Mm. They used to use that also, and they also use it for that real fine, and they wrap it in, in buckskin, or and they, and they put it in the cradle board, so that that give it that that good aroma, that cedar aroma, in, in that cradle board. That's what they use that the bark for also, and they also use the bark for uh, uh, for. Uh, for the saddles, they put that they put that um, bark with with between the uh, uh, deer hides and make it maybe a couple of inches thick. So that was uh, their saddles, their saddle pad. That's what, that was the earlier version of uh, uh, of saddles for the for the native people. Also, they used it for um, they said for starting fires. They carry that around with them. To, uh, cedar bark carry around with them. So when they camped, they use that and they, then they use a flint to start that fire. So once that starts to smolter a little bit, or you blow on that, and that fire starts to burn, and then you put it under the, in the, in the, in the wood. And the other thing that they used to use it for was to make um, like um, padding. For you to sleep on, they didn't use it like any, like you see it. They kind of 
crushed it up so it make it softer. So you make a pattern out of that for your for your for your bedding. Um, how this tree has a lot of uses to our people, like like saddles, cradle boards, bedding, and storing food to keep animals out. And fire. And fire too. In your matching activity for engineering for home, you looked at the raw material, the product of Ute knowledge, and a modern version. Now, let's look at teepees. Behind me, you see a structure shaped like a cone or a triangle that is made out of poles. These poles are teepee poles. But if you imagine this much smaller, you'll see a wikiup or brush shelter. This was the original home for the Ute people. In the summertime, it was left open so it could be nice and cool, but in the winter, around the outside, they will pile brush and matting to keep people warm, especially on days like today when it's cold outside. Later on, when the horse was brought by the Spanish people, teepees started to show up in Ute culture. With the introduction of the horse, new technology became available and allowed for the much bigger structures like the one you see behind me. Teepees are designed so that in the summer months, when it's warm, the bottom of the teepee can be rolled up. This allows the people inside shade, but keeps the teepee cool. So imagine if this skirt was pulled up here. In the winter time, the teepee's down to protect the people inside, but the smoke flaps here, both in the summer and winter, can be closed and moved to protect the people inside. On a day like today, where it's nice and cold, you're gonna want the teepee flaps much more closed. That still allows the smoke to travel up through the poles and out through the top of the teepee. Why do you think the Ute people and other Native American groups chose triangles as the shape for their home? Can you think of ways triangles and other shapes are used in modern engineering? In the next part of the video, you will hear modern Ute people talk about visiting the sites of Ute stick shelters. You will also hear from archaeologists who study these structures. Together, Ute elders and archaeologists have worked to document some of the 300 sites of historical Ute Indian camps and villages across Colorado. In 2017, they visited a remote location that is in the site of an historical camp dating from the late 1700s. After a long hike through pinyon and juniper, the group had an opportunity to explore the site and share their knowledge. And you see those wikiups, they're within them big old trees with a lot of branches and all that. That's where they, they put them. I'm not gonna say built them, but they just where they put them together. So that's, that's where they stayed because we lived outside. The people, youth people lived outside. Only when it got bad, we seek, seek shelter, which is a natural thing to do, no? And some people are good at building shelters, wikiups. Other people just crawl under the rocks or wherever, you know? This, even though it looks like a, a wikiup pole, is actually a tree that they'd cut down most of the tree and uh, 
used it to support the other poles against and used it as one of the poles. And it was this, the dead part of this tree that we took a tree ring date out of and got our, uh, got our date of 1795 out of here when this tree was killed. Yeah, and uh, yeah, seven years ago, this pole was still standing, leaned up in there, and that's what's happening to them. And once they're on the ground, the snow sits on them in the winter and stuff, they, de they deteriorate real fast. The Ute elders explain how Ute people use their knowledge of the environment every day. The scientists showed how they document the wooden structures at the site. Elders and scientists talked about the importance of visiting these historical sites with respect. So you see all these sticks around, they used to all lean up against a tree. And there's others that are standing by themselves, but they're leaning like that. Okay, so that, you know that there was uh, an area where they were uh, camped at for maybe a summer, maybe for hunting, or maybe as it was passing through. But they always came back to that area. When you're camping and you need to get out of the elements, that's, you yeah. put that together real yeah. quick and real cover quick. it with a hide. Yeah. The, the people that were here, our ancestors, they probably were here, maybe camped here for, for a period of time. But I don't think they were here permanently. They were here because they're always on a move. Time, um, just staying out in the elements, getting rained on, like what's happening right now. And it wouldn't take time. It'd just like sort of be a quick process. I never thought it would be up here, like in so deep into the forest, or the woods. Because I never seen them built with sticks before. I've only heard stories. Denver City Council. Please stand by. Full coverage of your Denver City Council begins now. Today's meeting is being interpreted into Spanish. Uh, Sam and Alejandro, would you please introduce yourself and let our viewers know how to enable translation on their devices? Yes, of course. Thank you for having us today again. Hello, everyone. My name is Sam Guzman with the CLC, and along with my colleague Alejandro, we will be interpreting today's meeting into Spanish. I will now give the instructions in Spanish on how to access interpretation. 
Buenas tardes a todos, mi nombre es Samuel Guzmán con la CLC y juntamente con mi colega Alejandro estaremos interpretando la reunión de hoy al español. Si desea escuchar la reunión en español, por favor vaya al icono de su pantalla que dice interpretación o prima ese botón y de ahí seleccione el idioma en español y así podrá escuchar um, su idioma preferido. Muchas gracias and thank you very much. Thank you, Sam. Welcome to the Denver City Council meeting of Monday, November 20th, 2023. Council members, please rise as you're able and join Councilwoman Sandoval in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you very much. And council members, please join Councilwoman Sandoval. She leads us in the Denver City Council land acknowledgement. The Denver City Council honors and acknowledges that the land on which we reside is the traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho people. We also recognize the 48 contemporary tribal nations that are historically tied to the lands that make up the state of Colorado. We honor elders past, present and future and those who have stewarded this land throughout generations. We also recognize that government, academic and cult cultural institutions were founded upon and continue to enact exclusions and erasures of indigenous peoples. May this acknowledgement demonstrate a commitment to working to dismantle ongoing legacies of oppression and inequities and recognize the current and future contributions of indigenous communities in Denver. Thank you very much. Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Flynn. Here. Alvidrez. Here. Gilmore. Here. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Hines. Cashman. Here. Lewis. Present. Parody. Here. Romero Campbell. Here. Sandoval. Here. Sawyer. Watson. Here. Madam President. Here. 10 members present. There are 10 members present. Council has a quorum. Approval of the minutes. Are there any corrections to the minutes of November 13th? Seeing none, the minutes stand approved. Council announcements. Are there any announcements today? As you're queuing in, I will just start on Monday, November 20th, 2023. Council was scheduled to sit as the Quasi-Judicial Board of Equalization to consider reduction in total cost assessments for local maintenance districts. No written protests of assessment were filed with the manager of the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure by the deadline of November 9th. Therefore, Council will not sit as the Board of Equalization for the following local maintenance districts on Monday, November 20th, 2023. Uh, one, uh, local maintenance district, it is 32nd and Lowell Pedestrian Mall. Uh, Councilwoman Alvidrez. Thank you, Council President. I just wanted to say, yay, it's finally time for the turkey trot. So I'm really excited. It's District 7 adjacent. And, um, <laughs> and I really look forward to supporting United Way and being part of the community. So see you at Wash Park on Thursday. Thank you, Council President. Thank you very much. Councilwoman Romero Campbell. 
Thank you, Council President, and yay for the turkey trot in Mile High United Way. Um, we will have a team honoring uh, Richard Romero, my dad. Uh, we created a team last year after he passed away, and he had done the turkey trot for decades. Um, they're celebrating their 50th anniversary, so I actually don't know how many, but he's, he's done it for more than, or he did it for more than 30 years. Um, secondly, I also want to announce that District 4 will be holding our senior luncheon um, on the 29th at 1130 at Wellshire, uh, at the Wellshire Inn. It will, will have music, some pictures, live entertainment, et cetera. Um, and it'll be a lot of fun. Just wanted to share with the community, we've had overwhelming response. Um, and so I think we are going to be cutting off the registration here soon, but please join us um, and contact the district office if you are so inclined to participate. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You, Councilman Cashman. Yeah, thank you, Madam President. And I I'm appreciate my colleague, Councilman Alvidez, uh, announcing that the turkey trot, which is held annually in District 6, will be taking place on Thanksgiving Day. And I, I, folks may remember that her predecessor made threats for eight years at doing a hostile takeover of Washington Park. And I have a hunch I'm going to need to remain on guard for the next however many years the councilwoman is uh, sitting next to me on the dais. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to welcome Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez to the council meeting. Uh, one uh, quick announcement for me. Um, uh, several of us were able to join Denver Streets Partnership and our Department of Transportation Infrastructure last evening downtown as they celebrated or recognized really uh, World Remembrance Day for those who have lost their lives on our streets. Uh, 541 uh, deaths since we started Vision Zero in February of 2016, 82 of those already this year. Um, uh, so just a, a somber moment for us, um, but also a reminder um, in terms of the importance of the infrastructure that we do build um, and making sure that it really does have our community in mind and not cars. So I wanna thank Denver Streets Partnership, Dottie, and all of the partners who put that on. Uh, Councilwoman Romero-Campbell, back up. Are you back Thank up? you, yeah, thank okay. you, Council President. Um, just wanted to also mention that uh, Councilwoman Gonzalez Gutierrez will be celebrating a birthday on Wednesday and wanted to make, no, just kidding, um, and just wanted to wish her a happy birthday. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. All right. Um, there are no presentations, no communications. There's one proclamation being read this afternoon. Councilman Cashman, will you please read proclamation 23-1823? Yes, thank you, Madam President. This is proclamation number 23-1823, celebrating World Children's Day 2023 for every child, every right. Whereas World Children's Day was first established in 1954 as Universal Children's Day and is celebrated on the 20th of November each year to promote international togetherness, awareness among children worldwide and improving children's welfare. And whereas November 20th is an important date and it is the date in 1959 when the UN General Assembly adopted the Declaration of the Rights of the Child. It is also the date in 1989 when the UN General Assembly adopted the Convention on the Rights of the Child. And whereas the United States is the only United Nations member nation that has not ratified the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And whereas 
In 2023, the city and county of Denver committed to work towards Denver becoming a UNICEF child-friendly city in accordance with the goals enshrined in the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And whereas Denver's Office of Children's Affairs is leading the effort to support Denver in becoming a UNICEF child-friendly city, working with an array of community volunteers and partners. And whereas the 2023 theme for Every Child, Every Right offers each of us an inspirational entry point to advocate, promote, and celebrate children's rights, translating into dialogues and actions that will build a better world for children. And whereas from climate change, education, and mental health, to ending racism and discrimination, children and young people are raising their voices on the issues that matter to their generation and calling for adults to create a better future. And whereas this World Children's Day, it's more important than ever that the world listens to their ideas and demands. Now, therefore, be it proclaimed by the Council of the City and County of Denver, Section 1, that the Council of the City and County of Denver recognizes Monday, November 20, 2023, as World Children's Day in the City and County of Denver and worldwide. And Section 2, that the Clerk of the City and County of Denver shall affix the seal of the City and County of Denver to this proclamation and that a copy be transmitted to UNICEF and the Denver Office of Children's Affairs. Thank you, Councilman Cashman. Your motion to adopt? Yes, ma'am. I uh, move the proclamation 23-1823 be adopted. Thank you, and that's been moved and seconded. Uh, comments first by members of council. Councilman Cashman. Thank you, Madam President. Yeah, I'm honored to have been asked to uh, sponsor this proclamation. Uh, uh, one of my constituents three, four years ago brought the idea of the child-friendly cities initiative uh, to, to my office. And the more I looked at it, uh, the more uh, obvious it became to me that uh, CFCI is not just a hollow, um, uh, hollow designation that you uh, sign a piece of paper and they say, sure, you're a child-friendly city. Uh, it involves uh, a whole uh, array of hurdles to be uh, jumped over uh, by commitment of, of money and policy uh, and youth voice. Again, this is, this is not something where a group of adults uh, sequester themselves in a room and make up some rules. The, the youth voice is integral to the process all the way through. So I, I was very um, encouraged by uh, the Office of Children's Affairs enthusiasm over, over the CFCI effort, and I'm hopeful that it will continue uh, under this new administration. Um, the other thing I want to say is that um, I think Denver and Colorado and our nation as a whole needs to get a lot more serious about support uh, for children. But we talk a great game, and we don't always stand by that talk. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the adage, uh, don't tell me what your values are, show me your budget, and I'll tell you what your values are. Uh, right now in Denver, um, food insecurity for children and, and families are alive and well, um, are alive and unwell. 
uh, after-school programs are underfunded by tens of millions of dollars. Uh, our public education funding as a state uh, constantly hovers uh, towards the bottom. Uh, you know, we're, I think, uh, in, in a conversation with the mayor the other day, we're, we're consistently between 38th and 48th, uh, depending on the year. Uh, that high number of 38th is not anything we should aspire to. Um, our, our teachers, this is something I was not aware of till the other day, our teachers are uh, paid uh, among the lowest in the nation. Uh, I uh, understand that we have families in our community that are struggling to make ends meet, but as we talk about um, TABOR refunds, and uh, lowering our tax burden. Uh, I think we need to be aware that there is no uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And if we're gonna fund education, it comes from nobody's wallet but our own. So we need to decide as a community what those values are. Um, I'm thinking about all the work being done at the State House across the park from us right now to make ends meet, to try to come up with dough to fund our education system better thought it might be one idea that they might consider is to make those TABOR refunds and opt-in rather than just mail people checks. So those who absolutely need the money should get what they need, but the, our education system has a better opportunity of better funding. Thank you, uh, Madam President. Thank you, Councilman. Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, I just wanna thank my colleague uh, for bringing this forward, but probably more importantly for everything that he does um, throughout the year and throughout the time he's been on council um, to raise this issue forward. Um, I have a friend who's a policymaker in another city who says childcare is infrastructure um, because it, it's a lasting investment um, that's required to kind of get people where they need to go, both adults and children. Um, and I think I just want to encourage us as a city to really start internalizing that investments in human beings are lasting investments. They're not ephemeral. Um, you can't see them, but you know, there's nothing more impactful um, for the well-being of our community um, and for sort of all of the things that we care about um, than investing in um, kids having healthy, stable lives as they grow up in our city. So I appreciate Councilman Cashman um, for that and also wanted to raise up that, um, you know, his amendments during the budget process, his proposed amendments um, to find more funding for the Office of Children's Affairs along with Councilman Alvidrez, possibly others on the dais with me. Um, we should have found the money for those things. And, you know, we get another crack at it last year, but um, there's kind of no excuse for letting those kinds of things um, wither on the vine, especially when we're seeing kids coming to our city um, with their parents um, from other parts of the world um, and, and experiencing really difficult conditions as they as they arrive here and try to get their feet under them. So thank you, Councilman Cashman. Thank you both. Uh, Councilman Avibinez. Thank you, Council President. Yes, I just wanna thank you, um, Councilman Cashman. I think that our kids are everything. They're our future. And as a mom myself, um, we really need to focus more on what we're doing for those children and for our futures. And thank you so much for working with me. And thanks for those of you who supported those amendments. Um, and hopefully we can move forward in a way that puts our kids first. Thank you. Thank you, Council President. Thank you. Okay, Madam Secretary, roll call, please. Flynn. Aye. Alvidrez. Aye. Gilmore. Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez. Aye. Cashman. Aye. 
Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 11 ayes. 11 ayes. Uh, Proclamation 23-1823 has been adopted. Councilman Cashman, would you like to bring up somebody to accept the proclamation? Yes, thank you, Madam President. We have a distinguished group from uh, both the Office of Children's Affairs and UNICEF. And uh, um, we'll start with the uh, Office of Children's Affairs. Good evening, Council. Uh, my name is Melissa Yanishevsky. I'm with the Office of Children's Affairs. Thank you so much, uh, Councilman Cashman, for all your support and just talk, bringing this to the surface. It's such an important issue. Um, I wrote a couple of notes just a few minutes ago because I didn't know I was speaking until then. Um, <laughs> but I do want to say that children's rights are human rights. And at the Office of Children's Affairs, we're ensuring young people are empowered to raise their voices to issues that matter to them and that they're at the table when decisions are being made that impact them. At the beginning of 2023, the Denver Children's Cabinet approved the official and multi-year partnership between the city and county of Denver and UNICEF to move forward in becoming a certified child-friendly city, which is extremely important. I think we can all agree that it takes a village to build a better future for all. So I just wanna thank all of you for this approval for the proclamation and your continued support. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to call up a representative from UNICEF. Uh, thank you very much. On behalf of UNICEF USA, we are so grateful to be here today in honor of World Children's Day. World Children's Day is an annual celebration across UNICEF and a collective day of action for children and by children. And as Councilman Cashman so wonderfully said, we believe strongly in including and elevating the voices of children and believe that in doing so, we can all work together to build a brighter future for our children. And could you introduce yourself? Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'm Alicia Desai. I'm Assistant Director of Diversity, Racial Equity, and Belonging at UNICEF. My name is Ann Holmes, and I'm on the board for UNICEF USA. And I'm so glad that you did this declaration today. It means so much to us. And as Council Cashman said, we try to embody all of the directives in the Convention on the Rights of the Child into our Child-Friendly City Initiative, which you all have adapted and will be moving forward with. I'd also like to say that UNICEF believes for every child, peace. Every child everywhere has a right to live in a peaceful world. For every child, a livable planet, Children have a right to a safe and livable planet. For every child, a voice. Children must be listened to and included in all decisions that affect them. And I thank the leadership here in Denver. We appreciate your commitment to children now and in the future. Thank you. Thank you both for being here. Thank you, Children's Affairs. Appreciate it. Um, Madam Secretary, please read the bills for introduction. From the Finance and Governance Committee 23-1679, a bill for an ordinance establishing a new fund in the Safety Special Revenue Fund Series for the Denver District Attorney's State Grants Program. 23-1682, a bill for an 
for an ordinance making appropriations to pay the expenses of conducting the public business for the year 2024 and for the purposes required by the charter and by other law. 23-1683, a bill for an ordinance amending ordinance number 591, series of 2021, as amended by ordinance number 706, series of 2021, as amended by ordinance number 1145, series of 2021, as amended by ordinance number 1192, series of 2021, as amended by ordinance number 374, series of 2022 as amended by ordinance number 969 series of two, 2022 as amended by ordinance number 1450 series of 2022 as amended by ordinance number 0548 series of 2023 as amended by ordinance number 1326 series of 2023 to make allocations in the recovery category from previously unallocated dollars in the original American Rescue Plan Act grant award to make allocations in the recovery category from interest earnings and to adjust allocations in the revenue loss and recovery. 23-1684, a bill for an ordinance amending ordinance number 824 series of 1990 that created the theaters and arena special revenue fund to expand the types of allowable revenue received into the fund to include interest earnings and per ordinance number 355 series of 2011 amends outdated language per the updated municipal code. 23-1685, a bill for an ordinance amending ordinance number 301 series of 1987 concerning the Family Crisis Center Special Revenue Fund 13802. 802 to update outdated language to expand the allowable purpose of the fund. 23-1686, a bill for an ordinance amending ordinance number 1291, series of 2021, as amended by ordinance number 709, series of 2022, concerning the Transportation and Mobility Special Revenue Fund. 23-1687, a bill for an ordinance authorizing a rescission and an appropriation in the Climate Protection Special Revenue Fund to make a cash transfer to the Climate Protection Capital Projects Fund. From the Land Use Transportation and Infrastructure Committee 23-1359, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 1021 South Hooker Street in Westwood. 23-1569, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classifications for multiple properties in the city and county of Denver. 23-1665, a bill for an ordinance changing the zoning classification for 1227 through 1271 South Pearl Street in Platte Park. 23-1691, a bill for an ordinance amending section 39-121 parentheses 18 of the revised municipal code of the city and county of Denver to add facility use fees regarding, the, regarding certain facilities in Arkansport Park. 23-1692, a bill for an ordinance approving a proposed intergovernmental agreement between the City and County of Denver and Evergreen Fire Protection District to provide on-call forest health and forest planning services. Thank you very much. Council members, this is your last opportunity to call on an item. Councilwoman Sandoval, will you make the motions for us tonight? Yes, Council President. Thank you. I'll do a recap under resolutions. Councilwoman Parity is called out 23-1669 for questions and comments. 
Under bills for introduction, Councilwoman Parity has called out 23-1683 for questions and comments. Under bills for final consideration, no items have been called out. Under pending, no items have been called out. Madam Secretary, will you please put the first item on our screens? This is resolution 23-1669, contract between Denver and Bayod regarding experience for justice-involved individuals. Councilwoman Parity, go ahead with your comments or questions. Thank you, Council President. Um, it's just a comment. I um, I just wanted to take a moment to um, sort of raise up this program um, because I think it's really thoughtfully developed by um, the team at DEN. Um, so we know that formerly incarcerated individuals experience incredibly high unemployment rates, maybe something like four to six times the overall unemployment rate in the US. Um, many of them experience joblessness and poverty before incarceration, and that, that sort of gets worse um, after, after coming back into the community. Um, so Buyout Enterprises has a long history of supporting self-sufficiency and employment for people that face those kinds of systemic barriers. Um, so I'm excited that, um, that they're working on this program together with DEN. They have um, already achieved 14 permanent job placements, and they're hoping to employ a total of 650 participants or more through the full length of the contract. So I just thought they deserved a little moment, and that's it. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Seeing no one else in queue, uh, Madam Secretary, please put the next item on our screens. This is Council Bill 23-1683, um, making allocations in the recovery category. Uh, Councilwoman Parity, please go ahead with your comments or questions. Yeah, thank you, Council President Torres. And I think someone, um, hopefully from the mayor's team, may be here tonight to answer a couple of questions. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I reached out uh, about one of the items of funding that are being reallocated within this ordinance, um, specifically, I think $2 million being allocated to DITO for downtown activation. Um, is there someone here that can fill me in a little bit more about what those dollars are going to be used for? We do. We have Dan Fetcher on Zoom. I also see others willing to stand up and come to the podium. Uh, well, let's start with Dan. Yes, thank you. Uh, Dan Fetcher, Federal Grants Manager with Department of Finance. Um, so <clears throat> the $2 million is uh, it's a collective um, amount that's being reallocated um, across a couple of different one thing in particular that the bills um, calling out for specifically will be a million dollars of that coming from the first reallocation um, from our uh, uh, DITO's sorry Denver Economic Development Opportunities Tech Up Entrepreneurship Grant uh, one of the reasons for that is the reallocation um, the funds came in uh, a little bit under and DITO's going to be utilizing their their subrecipients to be able to spend um, or sorry, to use their own funds for the match. So that's where that freed up a couple of those funds. So the reason that these funds were initially being set in the um, revenue loss category is because that's an allowable expense whenever we move it through revenue loss, um, although this is a program. So what we're really doing is bringing those funds back into the recovery bucket since uh, they're no longer being used for match funds. So uh, that's a, a million of the dollars that are coming through. As far as specifics for what exactly the, the $2 million would be used for for the downtown recovery, I would defer to Dito. I believe Chelsea Rossi um, is available as well to speak to that. Great. Come yeah, thank up. you, Dan. And my question really is about the intended use, um, okay. not so much the reason for the reallocation, but thank gotcha. you. Rossi, Chief of Staff at Denver Economic Development and Opportunity. Um, so we sort of have three thoughts about the use of these funds, again, being reallocated from the entrepreneurship um, dollars over to downtown. And the reasoning being that 
for, for an overarching picture, when we looked at the reconstruction of 16th Street, that was sort of an act in itself that had been planned far before we had these other things happen in our downtown. One being, of course, the pandemic and what's that done to businesses all across our city. And the second being um, some of the rioting and things that happened downtown that were very destructive to these businesses. And so they've been under you know, undue or in disproportionate amount of loss. And so we look at these funds really in a recovery lens from that for the disproportionate loss that they faced as a result. And not to say that other businesses haven't faced hardship, but it has been particularly hard in this um, area. And so we're gonna look at using some of these dollars for a retail attraction fund. So when 16th Street is complete, what will we have left? What type of businesses will be brought in there to make it the type of downtown Denver that is for everybody? And so we're looking at creating a retail attraction fund with these dollars to bring in, perhaps it's a local business that maybe needs a little bit of a chance to on-ramp into 16th Street. Perhaps it's a business from outside of market that Denver could really utilize to diversify our business um, spread across 16th. And so we'll use por a portion of that funding to do that um, in partnership, hopefully with a partner who can deliver these funds um, for Denver. Next, and I think this is where your question was um, last time, Councilwoman Purdy around safety. And so this isn't safety in the terms of having, you know, armed officers on every corner. This is more safety in terms of how do we help businesses to have protection or, or better lighting or what we call SEPTED. So that's that environmental study of what's, you know, helps prevent crime in the first place for businesses. And so that is one way we're thinking about this. And another way is we know that the downtown Denver partnership in partnership with Denver police, Dottie and some of our other agencies has created an action team that has really made a difference downtown. And if, if there's a need to increase that or continue that work, we wanna ensure that there's funding um, again, as we continue to rebuild 16th. And then finally, 16th, as we all may know, maybe doesn't have the same ring to it that it, it did back in the day, shall we say. And so we wanna think about what it looks like to market 16th or if the main street at mile high or whatever it's going to be in the future. We wanna bring that reputation back to one where people wanna come back, spend money, visit, take their families there, um, have a place of safe and enjoyable environment that can be the vibrant heart of our city. So that's really what we're thinking. Again, we wanna sit down with our stakeholders, understand what the need is at the time that these funds become available to more deep dive to ensure that that's the intended use and the right use of the funds, but that's what we're thinking at this time. Okay, and I think, um, I mean, I, these questions really may be more for the mayor's team because they have that 3,000 foot view and I do appreciate finally getting that answer because um, I've been asking about it for a while. Um, but my concern is just that given the scarcity of ARPA dollars, the urgency of the uses to which they can go, even if we're looking within the small business category, we have businesses in the city that are already here that were um, deeply impacted by COVID. Um, I know we're allocating some funding. I know Councilman Watson worked on allocating some funding to existing small businesses um, to help with recovery. Um, but retail attraction on sort of the tier, you know, the tiers of needs that those ARPA dollars could go to, um, I don't love that. And I don't love that it came in front of council without us knowing that that was the intended use. Um, so I guess, again, I don't, I don't really think that that's a comment for you. You're just the person standing there at the moment. That point, and I apologize for not bringing it up sooner. Another thing we're thinking about, and again, this isn't finalized, is what happens to the existing businesses on, on 16th or downtown. So they've got this brand new infrastructure in front of them, but do their facades need updating? Do they need funds to help their businesses um, be ready for hopefully an influx of more people and that type of thing? So it is, again, investing in those businesses that are already there as well. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't have any further questions. Thank you, Councilwoman Alvivides. 
Thank you, Council President. And thank you, Councilwoman Parity, for calling this out. I think um, it, it, we need to be very intentional about what we do with the ARPA dollars we have left and make sure we're uplifting all of Denver. I don't have a question in particular to you, but I think that supporting existing businesses, I also think the narrative around downtown is like so terrible, isn't true as it, you know, we were downtown just this weekend for remembering the traffic deaths and there was plenty of people walking around the construction is inconvenient and it hasn't caused any major damage or major issues to those businesses. Um, so I also have just question if this is really the best intention and I'm glad to hear that you're doing more research into what exactly would be the best way to use these funds. So thank you and thank you Councilwoman Parity and thank you Council President. Thank you, Councilwoman Lewis. Thank you so much. And again, thank you, Councilwoman um, Parity. I have more of a comment for you, maybe a question. Um, you mentioned that you were working with DPD um, and the subted, and you all have seen some um, improvements downtown. And I guess my question for you is like, what has that improvement looked like? And, and the reason I inquire is because the folks in East Colfax have really had to deal with a lot of the same things that I think y'all are trying to tackle um, and haven't had that degree of success. And so I'd be curious as to the things that you all have implemented um, in terms of the dollars you've advocated and the strategies um, that you all have implemented um, to find that success. Yeah, so this is a partnership that's been led by the Downtown Denver Partnership. They have a director of safety there who is sort of the, the project leader. And we have put together a notification system where businesses or individuals can report non-emergent things like graffiti that's happened to their business or public property, um, things like that. And then we've got a direct line between that safety team and Dottie who will come in and clean the graffiti if it's on public property. Um, and then also from a safety standpoint, again, they have a tiered system of relay, relaying that type of information through, um, I, think, I believe it's called the My Clean and Safe app. And so people can report incidents and then they can either deploy um, a team perhaps that's more of a wraparound services type of team if someone is in mental crisis or that type of thing or if a police response is needed and that can get escalated to that and so it's sort of a holistic approach and they're also out making proactive contacts so you know you might have certain individuals who are there a lot perhaps there's things that they're doing in the community that um we wish they wouldn't. And so those proactive contacts are being made to say, you know, are there, is there services that you may need? Is there assistance that we may offer you um, to, to help prevent this type of activity and behavior? So it's kind of both, it's a yes and, but they've had a lot of decrease, that we've seen decrease in crime in District 6, and I hate to speak to safety's numbers, but there has been a decrease in crime since this has happened, and an increase in those proactive touches, getting people in touch with the services that they need. Can you all replicate it in East Colfax? Can we, I'm sorry, what? Can you all replicate that in East Colfax? I would think that it could I'm be replicated if there, was an, if there was an organization like a business improvement district that would be willing to lead it and if we had the resources from Dottie and the police department to put that into place. Okay, thank so, you. So, but yeah, it's a replicable model. Wonderful, right thank you so much. Resources. Councilman Cashman. Thank you, Madam President. Thank you for your, your comments. Um, I, for a number of years, was very cranky about downtown. I felt that downtown got all the attention and our embedded shopping districts like Gaylord and Tennyson and Pearl didn't get enough love. Uh, that being said, uh, we're in a different context right now and Denver is a big city and as I look around the country, I don't see uh, healthy big cities without a healthy downtown. So I think reasonable reinvestment in downtown is, is important and prudent 
that said, again, um, I think we need to keep our eye on what we're developing so that it truly is an asset, not just for visitors coming in for an expensive vacation, but for families all across the metro area that want a fun evening downtown, that there's, it's affordable to all comers. So thank, thank you for what you're doing and uh, uh, do wish downtown well. Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, seeing no one else in queue, uh, that concludes the items to be called out. All bills for introduction are ordered published. Council members, remember this is a consent or block vote and you'll need to vote aye. Otherwise, this is your last chance to call out an item for a separate vote. Councilwoman Sandoval, will you please put the resolutions for adoption and the bills on final consideration for final passage on the floor? I move that the resolutions be adopted and bills on final consideration be placed upon final consideration and do pass in a block for the following items. Resolution six or bill 16. 67, 1669, 1677, 1648-1752, 1576-1577, 1588-1579, 1580-1581, 1582-1583, 1584-1585, 1586-1587, 1588-1578, 1615, 1559, Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 11 ayes. 11 ayes, the resolution's been adopted and the bills have been placed upon final consideration and do pass. Tonight, council will convene separately as the board of directors of the 14th Street, Gateway Village, Rhino Denver, and Sun Valley Den Gen Denver General Improvement Districts to approve a work plan, adopt a budget, and impose capital and maintenance charges and make appropriations for the 2024 and or 2023 fiscal year for each district. Anyone wishing to speak on these matters must go online to sign up during the recess of council. And if there are no objections, we'll recess until 5.30. Before convening the regular meeting, council provides a half hour general public comment session to hear from the public on city matters, except for when scheduled for a legally required public hearing. The general public comment session begins at five. November 27th, Senate begins at 11 a.m. Friday, November 24th. 
and we look forward to hearing from folks again. Thank you for attending. Uh, stay with us to attend the Denver City Council meeting, which will start immediately. Council will now reconvene from our early session. There is no unfinished business. There are no proclamations being read this evening. Um, we do have uh, four items for public hearing tonight. As a reminder, council members, uh, please turn on your video during our vote um, if you are online. For those participating in person, um, actually I don't need to go through these um, because we have no speakers. Council is now convened as the board of directors um, of the uh, Denver 14th Street General Improvement District. Councilwoman Sandoval, will you please put resolution 23-1589 on the floor for adoption? Good question. John, do we need to introduce them all if we're putting them in a block? Jonathan Griffin, Deputy Legislative Council, we should open the hearing for all four. For all four, yeah. okay. Um, council is also re is also convened as the board of directors of the Denver Gateway Village General Improvement District, um, the Denver Sun Valley General Improvement District, and the Denver Rhino General Improvement District. Um, Councilwoman Sandoval, will you please put? Yes, I'm going to name them real quick. Um, Twenty five fifteen eighty nine. 23 1590, 23 and 23 I know. <laughs> 89. Sorry, let me start, let me start over. <laughs> okay, I move that Council Resolution 23-1589-1590-1591-1592 be adopted. Uh, yes. Be adopted. Thank you. That's not a question. That is, a, <laughs> I have a motion. Can I get a second? Thank you. That has been moved and seconded. The required public hearing for council resolutions 1589, 1590, 1591, and 1592 um, are open. May we have the staff report? Hi, Michael. Good evening, board members. I'm Michael Kerrigan from the Department of Finance, Capital Planning and Programming Division. I am here to provide, to provide the staff report for the 14th Street General Improvement District and request approval for the district's 2024 budget and work plan. The district is 22.66 acres in size and is located along 14th Street from Market to Colfax and generally includes all parcels along both sides of 14th Street. It was created by council and approved by the electors in response to the 14th Street initiative to create downtown's uh, Ambassador Street. The initiative began in 2005 and visualized 14th Street as a promenade and a major gateway to the downtown area. The, the plan contemplated streetscape enhancements and, and related public infrastructure improvements. Stakeholders, including private property owners, public officials, and, uh, business, and business organizations, participated to establish the conceptual design for 14th Street. In 2009, City Council approved the formation of the 14th Street GID and creation of the District Advisory Board. The district was established to acquire, finance, operate, and maintain street improvements. 
The district's creation ordinance calls for the GID to at least annually pass a work plan and a budget. The district advisory board, after a notice and hearing, recommends to the board of directors the proposed work plan and budget, including maintenance charges and capital charges before you tonight. In 2024, the district plans to continue maintaining district amenities and providing services, including, but not limited to, tree planter and flower pot maintenance, landscape maintenance, signage repairs, tree, trash removal, sidewalk lighting project, and holiday light display. The work plan budget and charges include total revenues of $588,727, which is comprised of $281,587 in maintenance charges, banner rental and interest revenue, plus $307,140 in capital charges for the repayment of district debt used to finance the capital enhancements along 14th Street. City staff has reviewed the, has reviewed the 2024 budget and plan and recommends it for your approval. Should we just move on to the next one? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Michael. Um, so once again, Michael Kerrigan from the Department of Finance. Before you tonight to give the staff report and request approval for the Gateway Village General Improvement District 2024 annual work plan and budget. The district is located northwest uh, of the I-70 and Chambers Road intersection. It consists of approximately 243 acres in the Montbello neighborhood. It is completely developed and primarily consists of residential property. Responsibilities for the district include maintaining landscaping and parks. City Council approved the formation of the Gateway Village uh, General Improvement District by Ordinance Number 551, Series 1994, and established City Council as the ex-officio board of directors of the district. Creation ordinance also created a district advisory board made up of property owners within the GID. The ordinance specified that such uh, advisory board should conduct and manage all affairs of the district as the authorized agent for the board of directors, including its annual, including its financial and legal affairs. Pursuant to resolution number 32 series 1995, Denver City Council authorized the district advisory board to create an annual work plan and budget for approval by the board of directors. The Gateway Village 2024 budget proposes overall expenditures of $1,780,000 and transfers to the capital fund of $1,250,000 with total revenues of $487,856. The district plans to assess 10 mills on real property within the district. This is a reduction from 20 mills that were assessed in the past. The, district, uh, the district's reduced mill levy is the result of the district reducing its capital improvement plans for the future. During 24, the district anticipates completing the third and final phase of the landscape improvement project, which involves renovation of the streetscapes along Chambers Road between Bowling Drive and East 52nd Avenue. The landscape project is expected to improve the aesthetics and reduce water usage. Additionally, the district plans to continue um, landscape and irrigation maintenance, snow removal, and storm drainage maintenance. City staff has reviewed the 24 budget and work plan and recommended for approval. Um, so the third of four, I'm before you tonight to give the staff report and request approval for the Sun Valley Denver General Improvement District 2024 annual work plan and budget. The district is located southwest of downtown and is centered in the Sun Valley neighborhood. The district is generally bounded by 9th Avenue on the south, Decatur Street on the west, the South Platte River on the east, and W Rail Line to the north. At its creation, the district consisted of approximately 12 properties owned or controlled by the Denver Housing Authority. 
In 2022, via ordinance number 980, City Council approved the formation of the Sun Valley General GID, established City Council as the ex officio board of directors of the district and created a district advisory board. The GID's primary focus is to provide for the ongoing maintenance of streetscape, planned public improvements, open spaces, green infrastructure, and related improvements in the Sun Valley neighborhood. The district advisory board, after notice and public hearing and, and public meeting, uh, recommends the 2024 budget and work plan before you tonight. 2024 will be the second full year of district operations. The property within the district is still in the early stages of development and, and as such, the budget and plan reflects this. During 24, the district plans to primarily perform administrative, accounting, legal, and maintenance activities. The 24 budget proposes overall expenditures of $51,500 and overall revenues of $53,500. These revenues are generated through DHA or Denver Housing Authority advances and anticipated payments from uh, payment in lieu of tax agreements or pilot agreements. The, uh, the district plans to assess a six mil levy property tax in 2024, but since the district's anticipated assessed value is $0, it does not expect to, to realize any property tax revenue in 24. It is doing this uh, in the instance that there is a tax exempt property within the district that changes to taxable during the 2024 year. City staff has reviewed the 24 budget and work plan and recommends it for approval. And then the last budget, the Rhino Denver GID. I am before you tonight to give the staff report and request approval for the Rhino Denver General Improvement District's 2024 annual work plan and budget and a 2023 budget amendment. The district is located northwest of downtown and includes residentially and commercially assessed properties around the Brighton Boulevard corridor. Generally, generally the GID is centered on Brighton Boulevard, stretching from I-70 on the north to 20th, 29th Street on the south and bounded east by the Union Pacific Railroad and to the west by the Burlington Northern Railroad Line. The GID supports infrastructure enhancements and maintenance in the Rhino area, including streetscape enhancements to Brighton Boulevard. City Council approved the formation of the Rhino Denver GID by ordinance number 309 series 2015 and established City Council as the ex officio board of directors of the district. The ordinance also created a district, a district advisory board comprised of district property owners and city staff. The ordinance specified that the advisory board should, subject to the approval of the board of directors, conduct and manage all affairs of the district as the authorized agent of the board of directors. The district advisory board has created the 2024 budget and 23 budget amendment before you tonight. The 24 budget proposes overall expenditures and fund transfers of $2,211,444 and overall revenues of $1,890,683. Of these revenues, the district will generate approximately $1,714,802 through the levy of four mills of property tax for general operating purposes, and it will generate approximately $175,000 from the imposition of a capital charge assessed on a lineal foot basis on properties adjacent to Brighton Boulevard. Uh, the, that capital charge will be used for the repayment of debt that, is, that was used to fund the capital enhancements along Brighton Boulevard. During 24, the district plans to undertake a large effort to staff and program the community buildings associated with the Arkins Promenade. The 23 budget amendment includes overall expenditures of $1,684,161 as compared to the 23 original budget of $1,657,161. The increased expenditure uh, budget is a result of administration and advocacy expenses in 2023. 
City staff has reviewed the 23 budget amendment and the 24 budget and work plan and recommends it for approval. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Um, we don't have any speakers signed up. Are there any questions for members of the board on resolutions 1589 through 1592? Seeing none, the public hearing is closed. Are there comments by members of the board on resolutions 1589 through 1592? Okay, seeing none, we will be voting separately on each resolution. Madam Secretary, please roll call on resolution 1589. Flynn? Aye. Alvidres? Aye. Gilmore? Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Hines? Or I'm sorry, Cashman? Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 10 ayes. 10 ayes, resolution 1589 is adopted. Madam Secretary, roll call please on resolution 1590. Flynn? Hi. Alvidres? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Cashman? Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 10 ayes. 10 ayes. Resolution 1590 is adopted. Madam Secretary, please roll call on resolution 1591. Flynn? Aye. Alvidres? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. Watson? Aye. Madam President? Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. 10 ayes. 10 ayes. Resolution 1591 is adopted. And Madam Secretary, roll call please on resolution 1592. Flynn? Aye. Alvidres? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Gonzalez Gutierrez? Aye. Lewis? Aye. Parody? Aye. Romero Campbell? Aye. Sandoval? Aye. 
Watson? Council President, a motion text doesn't change. This would be out of order. Because they I'm were, no, they were presented as okay. a block. Yeah. We're just voting on them separately. Thank you, you for that we question. We keep voting though. for the same thing. I know. Aye. <laughs> I uh, Madam President. Aye. Madam Secretary, close the voting and announce the results. Ten eyes. Ten eyes. Resolution 1592 is adopted. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Michael. On Monday, December 18th, Council will, will hold a required public hearing on Bill 1359, changing the zoning classification for 1021 South Hooker Street in Westwood. A required public hearing on Council Bill 1569, changing the zoning classification for multiple properties in the city and county of Denver. And a required public hearing on Council Bill 1665, changing the zoning classification for 1227 to 1271 South Pearl Street in Platte Park. Any protests against council bills 1359, 1665, or 1569 must be filed at the council offices no later than noon on Monday, December 11th. There being no further business before this body, this meeting is adjourned.